Lord, I want to thank you for David. Thank you for who he is to you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bless his words to us this evening. Give us open hearts and ears to hear what he has to bring and to help us see, Lord, where you'd want us to connect with that word. And Lord, give him boldness, we pray, in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. So I think this is the first time I've ever uh, preached when Arsenal are top of the Premier League. So this is, uh, this is a new experience for me. But um, well done to West Ham as well today. I understand we are primarily a West Ham church. So well done. So um, I wonder if I can ask you to think back to a time maybe when you made a decision and whether or not you realised it at that time, um, that decision um, turned out to change the course of your life um, in a good way. Okay, we'll, we'll focus on the good ones, because okay? <laughs> we might have made bad decisions as well at, at some point, but let's focus on the good ones. At the time, you made, you made a decision, and it turned out to um, shape your life in a, in a really good way. So maybe, I don't know, maybe you asked someone out for coffee, and turns out, almost 20 years later, you're married to them and you have three kids, for example. Um, it can be, it can, it can happen. So be careful who you ask for coffee. Uh, maybe you took a voluntary redundancy offer from your employer, and you thought you'd just get another really similar job, but you didn't, and you, your kind of career went off in a completely different direction. Maybe in a good direction. Maybe you uh, bought a new cookbook at some point, and it changed the way you you ate at that time, and you kind of stuck with it, even though you're now a bit bored with it. Um, we are grateful to Jamie Oliver's Ministry of Food. Um, 12 years ago, we bought it, but still a little bit, um, getting a little bit bored of some of the things there. So, um, and how did you, if you can think of one of those, like how did you make that um, decision? Was it, was it kind of um, spontaneous, emotional, kind of gut feeling um, response? That's sometimes a good way to make a decision. Was it, uh, did you have all the kind of options and information um, in front of you, you kind of analytically made a decision? Or maybe it was kind of um, developmental. You said, oh, you know, where do I want to be in a year's time? Um, what's best for the environment or something? You made a decision on that basis. That's another good reason to make a decision. Or maybe it was, I don't know, peer pressure, family pressure, genetic inheritance, I don't know, all these things that, that influence us. Um, maybe for good, maybe not quite so good, I don't know. But as Christians, um, we have um, one other major criteria for how we might make decisions or plan our life and so on. And that is um, faith, faith in God, faith in God's purposes, faith in what God has said to us, and standing on that um, rather than uh, fear, basically fear of other things, putting our faith in other things. We want to have faith in God and what he said to us and what his purposes are for us. Uh, we want to step forward into that and not step back um, into where we were before, or according to fear, or whatever is driving us. And that's what we want. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We, we've been, um, you probably know, we've been looking at the story of Moses over the summer. And uh, we're now close to the end. I think this is the last one of Moses. And we're, we're kind of towards, getting towards, in a sense, the end of Moses' life. And we're at the point where um, he's leading the people of God. Um, and they come to a key decision-making moment, a key sort of fulcrum point, a key um, decision that's going to shape things for the future. And it's going to have a major, in fact, life or death impact on that generation who make that decision. So we're going to look at how they, how they make it or not. So Moses, um, I'm sure you know the story, he has brought the led, led the people out of Egypt. 
They've been through the Red Sea. They've gone to Mount Sinai and they received the law. They've seen God do amazing things. They've seen his glory. And now they're heading uh, away from Sinai to the promised land. And this is what God um, promised to his people all the way back. Um, the Lord said to Moses, this is at the burning bush. He said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their, their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So that was God's promise to Moses you know, way back um, a number of years ago, and he's brought the people um, to this point where they're, they're almost there. They're on the borders. They're on the southern borders of the promised land, and they're almost, they're almost there. So they've come a long way. They've seen God do amazing things, um, and now they're very close to what they were, to the place they're going. But the question is, are they going to be able to take hold of uh, what God has promised them? Are they going to be kind of able to step up and take this final crucial step? Um, but as it happens, things are not going very well. So as all God's people tend to do, we remarkably easily forget God's goodness. We forget his faithfulness. And the people are starting to complain about their situation. They're you know, challenging leadership and so on. So what they decide to do uh, on the borders of the promised land is they decide to send out uh, spies into the promised land to see what it's like, even though they should know what it's like. So we're looking at Numbers, if you want to follow along, it's Numbers chapter 13. Uh, I can't tell you, I'm afraid, what page that is in the Bibles. I forgot to look before, uh, but I'm reading from a slightly different version. Um, so we're, we're in Numbers chapter 13, and uh, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out men for yourself to spy out the land of Canaan, where I am going to uh, give the sons, which I'm going to give the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. So spies are sent out into the land. Um, I don't know if that was actually God's idea or maybe the people's idea. But anyway, that's what happens. And these are the results. Let me read the results. So we're now going to uh, chapter 13, verse 25. So it says, says this, When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they went on and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruits of the land. Incidentally, if you, if you look at the, the Israel Ministry of Tourism website, they still use that image of uh, two, kind of two men holding a large um, kind of bunch of grapes between them. So it's still a kind of iconic image that's used today. So they show Moses uh, the fruit of the land. Um, nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And indeed, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the lands of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. So in other words what these spies are saying is that God's promises seem to be true, that the land is good, it's a good place to live, um, it's uh, land flowing milk and honey, but um, there is a problem, or there's several problems. The people there, uh, the people who live there uh, are tall and strong, the cities are fortified and large, 
and it's full up with people. The land is full up with people. There doesn't seem to be any space left. It's all full. There's no room for us. And so there's this apparent tension between it. God has promised uh, the land to them and kind of the cold, hard facts on the ground. There's a tension, okay, um, between God's promises and what appear to be the facts. So in that situation, there's two responses, really, aren't there? There are two possible responses. So let me read the responses. This is from verse 30. It says this, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will certainly prevail over it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, because they are too strong for us. So they brought a bad report of the land which they had spied out to the sons of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are people of great stature. We also saw the Nephilim there, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So we have Caleb, who takes a kind of minority position against the majority, um, and he um, stands against the tide, and he, he trusts in God, remembering that it's not their responsibility to deliver land, it's God. God's going to do this. Um, and Caleb remembers that. Um, he believes that God would make them able because he said he's going to do this. And so they don't need to fear um, apparent obstacles in the way. And um, it takes courage, doesn't it, to be like that, to be like Caleb, to be in the kind of minority position, even within God's people, potentially, um, to stand against the majority and to trust in what God has said and in his purposes. Um, I guess in retrospect, we'd say, oh, yeah, we, we do the same. But at the time, it's more difficult, isn't it? If you think of people like um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 1930s Germany, kind of standing up for faithfulness in Christ against the rest of the church um, succumbing to the Nazi party. If you think of Rosa Parks on that bus in Alabama in the civil rights movement, um, people who kind of, they wouldn't compromise, but they stood up for what they believed in against the majority. And we remember them now, but we wonder whether we would have done the same at the time. But the response of the others, the other ten, um, the other ten spies, is to move beyond the facts into exaggeration and lies and fear. Uh, they they go beyond the facts. They say, well, the people may the people may seem stronger, but to say we're not able to go up against them is actually not actually true. They say it's a land that devours its inhabitants. Well, that doesn't really make sense because the people there seem to be doing quite well. Uh, they say that the men were like um, giants, kind of descended from this kind of mythical race. Well, that mythical race used to live before the flood, so it's not quite sure how they would have survived um, to now. It's, it's a bit of a legend, perhaps. And they say that they were grasshoppers. They seem like grasshoppers in their eyes. Well, it turns out that when Joshua finally conquers the, the Promised Land, um, a number of years later, they, fought, they talked to the Canaanites, and the Canaanites say, we were scared of you. Uh, the dread of the land came upon us because we heard what God had done and brought bring you out of Egypt. So it turns out the, re- the residents of the land were actually scared of the Israelites, not the other way around. And so that, isn't it, is the difference between faith and unbelief. It's the same, the same facts on the ground, the same kind of kind of cold hard facts on the grounds but it depends on our hearts doesn't it or the lens of faith or fear which we might look through to evaluate the situation 
faith or fear. And in this case, fear is based on exaggeration and lies, often forgetting about God. Uh, Somebody says this, we all live under the same sky, but we don't all have the same horizon. And so what is the result of the majority of the people um, being afraid and saying, we can't do this, we're not up to it, we can't, we can't do it? Well, God um, says that that entire generation, apart from Caleb and Joshua who showed faith, um, he says that entire generation will not enter the land, but they'll in fact be um, wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years and die, and they won't enter the land. So in other words... God was still going to bring about his purposes. There was no question about that. God would bring um, the people of God into that land. But that generation had a choice as to whether they were going to be part of it or not. And sadly, all of them but two decided not to be part of it. And the New Testament warns us a couple of times in Hebrews and 1 Corinthians not to be like this generation um, that failed in the wilderness. Um, It says they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And so we're warned not to be like that, not to put God to the test. So to bring this into the kind of current day, what would you say our promised land is? Because obviously we're not quite the same as Old Testament Israel. We are, uh, we are New Testament Christians. Um, so what is our promised land? Well, in a sense, our promised land, what God promises to us is in a sense... Um, the whole world, because we're not just looking forward to a particular uh, plot of land in the Middle East. We are looking forward to the whole world uh, being transformed, a new heavens and a new earth under the lordship of Jesus. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we believe um, will happen. So in a sense, um, the whole world is our promised land. That's what we will inherit with Jesus. Um, But you could also say maybe our promised land is the, the place right now where we are kind of best placed to help bring that about our kind of our place of mission or ministry, the kind of sweet spot where, although it may not be easy, uh, we know that we're in the right place to bring God's kingdom in and to see his, his purposes being done. And that, that could be a, a neighborhood. It might be Woodford, wherever you live. It might be your workplace. It might be a, your university. It could be lots of different places. Where is your kind of your area to kind of bring the kingdom in? Um, but like that generation of Israelites, though, the question is maybe similar for us to, you know, God is going to bring about his purposes, his kingdom's coming, there's no doubt about that. Um, the question is, um, are we going to be part of that? Because ultimately, deep down, God may give us what we want deep down. Ultimately, deep down, do you want to be part of it? Well, I think you will be. If you don't deep down, then, well, you may um, potentially uh, lose out. And so what are the things that might prevent us from taking parts in this, to take, taking hold of our promised land? What, why may we not make decisions based on faith um, and instead head back towards fear? Well, maybe, like that generation of Israelites, we are likewise afraid of the inhabitants of the land. Are we afraid of people? Um, I mean, it's certainly true, isn't it, that... Um, I think our culture is one that's now increasingly marked by kind of fear, kind of fear of the other, fear of the, the other who that might be, the outsider, and so on. Um, and that can rub off on us. Somebody says this, that our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, aggressive, defensive people anxiously clinging to their property 
and inclined to look at the surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to appear, intrude, and do harm. Um, now, I, I don't know if you completely agree with that or not, but there is a kind of sense of fear, isn't there, in our culture, fear of others. Um, and we can, we can pick up on that too. And maybe we are afraid of others because we want to be accepted. We don't want to be judged. We want to be, uh, we want to be liked and appreciated. We're, we're afraid of what other people might think. And we can be afraid of sharing our faith as well because, I mean, I, I struggle with this. That I, I struggle to kind of get beyond all the kind of the niceness and superficial interaction with people I interact with into something a bit more meaningful. Like how do I kind of step over the barrier, so to speak, to actually offer them Jesus or something more significant? Um, because maybe I'm afraid of what they might say or think or do and, and so on. So we can easily um, be afraid um, of people. So may God change our hearts so that we're not afraid of others outside our immediate circle and may we be hospitable and welcoming and serving and involved and willing to cross barriers, willing to step out. Um, I'm saying that as a prayer. I'm not saying I, I can do that necessarily. I'm saying that as a prayer for all of us. Uh, may we step out unafraid to share ourselves and our faith so we might be afraid of the people of the land, just like they were, but maybe also we might be afraid of the cities and the strongholds that are there. And that, for us, that might be uh, a strongholds of sin. Obviously, that, that's going to prevent us. Um, or maybe it could even be um, good things, which we've effectively turned into idols. Um, it could be um, we've got things in the wrong order, placing something in effect above God, effectively believing that those things... Um, good things like family or jobs or career or success or so on will be our ultimate source of joy and significance rather than God himself. And if we do that, um, I think we can be at risk of missing out on the promised land. And it's hard to discern that sometimes. We have blind spots. We can't always see it. Um, but someone called John Tyson says, we can keep up involvement in our small groups, attend church faithfully, give generously, and love sacrificially while holding something other than God as sacred in our hearts. And if we do that, I believe that's a barrier to kind of taking hold of what God has for us. Uh, that something else has taken allegiance uh, over him. So may we give God our hearts fully and have wisdom to see through our culture and what it is saying to us. And then thirdly and finally, maybe like the people, we think that everything is just too full up. There's too much going on. The land is too full um, because of everything we've got going on. Um, again, it's, it's difficult. Often we're busy for, for good reasons, doing good things. Uh, at the moment, we often feel like we're busy from the moment the kids get up until about 10 o'clock at night, and there doesn't seem too much space for, for anything else. So often we're busy, not for bad reasons, for, for, but for good reasons. But we need time to rest and to practice Sabbath and to hear God's voice so we can um, hear what he has to say to us. And I've kind of rushed over those things, but um, I'd recommend this book. It's called Beautiful Resistance by, um, by John Tyson. And it's, it's if you want to kind of look more about um, the, the challenges of things like um, you know, idolatry or not resting uh, and so on, um, it's a really great, great book. So I'd recommend that. So we too, like that generation, are at risk 
of not entering our promised land, um, hardening our hearts, settling for second best or worst um, if our decisions aren't based on faith in God and his purposes, if we get pulled back to fear and to faith in other things. Um, He's going to work out his purposes. We have a choice whether we're part of that uh, because he may give us deep down what we really, really want in our hearts. And we need to believe that if God has brought us this far, just like the people of Israel, if he's brought us, he's saved us, he's brought us out of Egypt, he's given us a way to live, um, he's not going to just let us die in the wilderness or go back to slavery unless that's what we choose. And just as a personal example, I, I am going to, um, in about uh, probably a year's time, maybe a bit longer, maybe a bit shorter, I'm going to complete my training, hopefully, and I will probably be heading off in some way to lead a church, probably, hopefully not too far away. And at the moment, uh, so that's the plan as far as I'm aware, and at the moment, a lot of the time, I think I just, I'm not sure I can do it. <laughs> I mean, I know I can do some of the stuff, but do I ultimately have the faith? Do I have the strength? Do I have this kind of spiritual authority? Do I have the um, capacity? Do I have the time to do all this? And, um, you know, my wife's about to go back to working in a hospital, and I don't know if we're going to have time. How's it all going to work out? I don't know. But that's the challenge, isn't it? Um, You know, we're not to doubt what God's purposes are. We're not to get worried and fearful about the circumstances, but trust in what he has said and what his purposes are for us. And ultimately, let's remember Jesus. Um, that generation of Israel failed, and truth be told, we fail too. But Jesus, when he was tested in the wilderness, at the start of his ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. And when he was tested, um, he succeeded where all of us have failed. When he was hungry, he didn't prioritize his own appetite or complain to God about the path he'd been led on but he trusted in God to provide and lead him. When he was tempted to throw himself down from the temple um, so that he could demonstrate some kind of amazing uh, salvation of God, um, he didn't test God, but trusted in God to save him. And when he was tempted to bow down and worship something else, um, he refused but put his trust in God's rule over the nations and gave his allegiance only to his father. And when faced with the cross, um, he didn't falter, but he died and rose again for us. So that's the, we fail, (laughs) I fail, we all fail. Um, A bit like that generation. But Jesus has succeeded. So stick close to him, put your trust in him. Don't go outside him. Um, Whatever your situations you're facing, um, decisions you're facing, it's not about our performance, but about trusting in him. And as we do so, I believe he'll bring us into the land he has for us, both the new heavens and the new earth, which we'll be part of, and whatever he's got for you, got for you right now. So, shall we pray as we usually do here? Would you like to stand? And, uh, and let's, let's pray. Um, let's just invite the, the spirits to come afresh. We've already prayed that but let's just um, we want to just reach out our hands and say come Holy Spirit would you uh, would you speak to us in our hearts and our minds uh, Lord and I pray for all of us for um, that we could receive um, faith faith in you Lord Jesus in your 
um, purposes for us and what you said uh, over our lives. Uh, we want to stand against fear. We want to stand against um, negativity. We want to stand against thinking we can't do it. We're not up to it. Um, we're not right for this. Um, we trust in you, Lord Jesus. And ultimately, we trust in your death and your resurrection. So just spend a moment just, just asking for a fresh filling of the Spirit and for faith, for the Lord maybe to speak afresh to you about what he wants. great to stand with a few people specifically in in prayer and so maybe um, those people you want to take a stand on faith tonight on your on faith in God not uh, not on fear you want to see through a lens of faith not fear um, then we'd love to pray for you are there people who um, you're worried about what other people think of you um, about people's perceptions of you which is in a sense not putting your um, faith in God, we want to pray for you as well. If people you feel you're just, um, you're just too busy, um, you, need, you need space, uh, there's too much going on, you need uh, things to open up for you so you can focus on God, we want to pray uh, for you too. So we're going to go back into some worship now, the, the band will lead us, but um, to come forward, especially if you want to just stand um, on the basis of faith, not fear. Do feel free to come forward. There'll be people who can uh, stand with you in prayer and be ready to, to welcome you. So just, um, yeah, just take this opportunity to worship, to pray, to come forward. And we look forward to um, worshiping with you.